Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. Um, I have two incredible special guests with us today, Karen McNeil and Emily Bouchard. Um, welcome, ladies. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So what we typically do here, and, and the reason why I bring two guests on at a time is it just creates a really different conversation typically. And you know, we just never know where one person's gonna say something and it takes us in another direction. So what I wanna do is just give each of you a, a moment, if you would just tell us about your journey. Um, where did you start and how did you end up working you know, where you are today with uh, a spent you know, private capital management um, and working with families in the in the manner that you do today. So, Karen, if you don't mind, you know, sure, yes, not for nothing, but the the senior family historian. I, family I am. Services. That's pretty neat. How did yeah. you? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it is not uh, where I expected my journey to take me. Um, my landing at Ascent was really sort of the, the bringing together of two different worlds that I had been in previously. First. There was the academic world. I got my PhD in history at Berkeley, and I assumed that I would be a professor. Um, and all of my scholarship has been on this architect named Julia Morgan, who's most famous for designing Hearst Castle. And while it was, I wasn't thinking about it this way, all the while I've worked on her, I have been thinking about how do you build a business? And um, also, how people of significant means uh, have an impact on their world. So, her, so Hearst is her most famous uh, client, but her clientele was made up of the leading political, intellectual, business, cultural uh, leaders of California. And so she was literally helping them, and especially women in this case, uh, create a built environment that addressed social, cultural, all sorts of reform, opportunity and things. So that was one element. And then I got into historic preservation for years. And what I loved about that was the application of history to real world situations. So that all the studies I would do of a property might help the owner get a variance so they could have a business in their house or it would affect urban planning policies and decisions. And so then um, I was teaching all along, but I, I was looking and looking and I found this job about family historian for an ultra high net worth division of a major US bank. And I thought, hmm. And as I was going through it, I was like, yes, I do research about families all the time. I think about impact all the time. And I, as I learned more and more about it, it was just this wonderful opportunity to help families figure out who they are, where they come from, what their values are, and how they really can have a lasting, enduring impact on their own families and in their communities. So this was kind of an unexpected career oh, yeah. change for you. That's mm -hmm, awesome. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So Emily, I know a little bit about your background. We met, I wanna say, was it 2009 or 2010 maybe in the, uh, the near the airport in Denver. Were you there at that, the very first PPI, right? Yeah, that's Purpose right. Purpose Planning Institute, for those that uh, haven't been on the show before and heard me talking about that. Emily, so you're the Managing Director of Leadership and Legacy, um, con you know, consultant at um, Ascent Private Capital as well. Walk us through, you know, because I know that, you know, your career spans 
you know, many, many, you know, years. Walk yeah. us through, how did you, how did you get here? What was your first foray into this and how did that come together to who you are today? I know it's so great. Karen and I are so similar. I like to say there's like no straight lines to where you end up because I never even knew this work existed when I yeah. became a social worker, right? So I, I come to this really personally, um, very passionately about um, facilitating communication in families before it's too late um, about the things that matter most. And it was driven by a really dramatic event in my life where my mother died very suddenly and I was 14 and nobody in my family knew how to talk about it. And there were so many unanswered questions and there were so many things I wish I'd known in terms of her wishes and what she wanted for me. And I had to guess at what her values were. And, you know, it, it, there were so many things. It was a seminal moment in my life. And uh, from that moment, I, I made a lot of choices about how I wanted to be in the world from that. And looking back, it's like, oh, well, that really sparked that. So I, I got a degree in child development and I focused on uh, adolescence and really tried to look at it psychologically and sociologically and really try to understand how you make sense of the world from a teenager's perspective and you know, just passionate about kids, worked with kids in many different ways. And then I ended up working in a hospital closely with social workers, with um, families whose children were getting ill and what was happening within the family system. And I became fascinated by family systems and how did the families talk about these things. And I ended up getting a social work degree to really look and see how I could help facilitate those conversations. And I was working, I just started um, my own practice and I, I focused on blended families. People know me in this, in this sphere as a, a expert in step family relationships. And I came by it honestly, I, my, my family was, a, my mom came from a, a home where I grew up with two um, step aunts and um, a step grandfather. And I it was like part of my natural milieu. And then when my dad remarried, I had step grandparents and step cousins and, um, and I had a stepmom. And so I became a stepmom at one point, and I, uh, I really brought a lot to bear to that relationship as well and tried to be the best stepmom I could be. And I started writing about it, and I started really researching it and looking at what works in the home 24-7 versus you know, one hour a week in a therapist's office. And I, and I ended up um, meeting somebody who referred me to um, uh, the preparing errors, uh, uh, the Williams group years ago, that was in 2004. And I worked with them until 2013. And um, as a family dynamics specialist within their team. I didn't and realize then, that you spent time there. That's, that's me. Yeah, yeah. It was, and that was amazing. That was my first foray into working with really successful uh, families that were not so successful in their communication and how to support them in that. And uh, during that time, I met people, uh, I started to branch out and meet other people. And then I ended up working as a managing partner of a small boutique firm for a while. And I went to PPI and met Paul Hood and we wrote our book on estate planning for the blended family and got really passionate about what I could do to work collaboratively with um, uh, other experts in the field. And then I met um, Kristen Armstrong who was at Ascent and when she was deciding to retire and um, step away, she uh, reached out to me and it was like my dream job. You know, it's like <laughs> I never knew in a million years I could get this job. And it was one of those things where I didn't even know it was possible. And um, so, and it was a really nice win-win. And I got a chance to be in a team that's totally multidisciplinary, CPAs, um, historian, uh, a, a, estate planning attorneys that also have really great specialties within tax and um, financial advisors and investment advisors. And I'm just, I'm learning so much working with a whole team of people as opposed to just like on my own and in my own silo. That's been really a phenomenal um, experience to, to step into that and, uh, and tend to work with Karen and really get the profound impact of tapping into family histories as they're looking at their legacy and what they want to do within their family businesses, especially. And um, I just, I love this conversation. She, she and I just totally hit it off talking about this and then how to bring in different things she's created in terms of how to talk about values and such. So I love it. So let's, you know, before we dive into the, the why this is so important, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I heard senior family historian and I'm like, what do you do? 
I mean, I, I think I get, I, th I think I, you know, I, because of 10 years, 12 years of, you know, doing this work, you know, I know that, but I don't think the people listening might, mm -hmm. would want to understand that. So what is it that a family historian does? Well, um, how to break it down. So, you know, the first thing I do with any family is I start to build out a family tree, right? And so I delve into all sorts of genealogical databases. There's so much that you can find online these days. It's pretty phenomenal. And so I start to fill out the family tree. But a family tree is really just data, right? So you can look at it and I can make some trees go back like 14 generations. You know, they can go way back. But even a tree that substantial, you look at it and you're like, huh, wow. And that's it, you know? So, so it's really important to start thinking about the stories behind the people on those trees. What did they go through? How did they face change and challenge and triumph? Um, how and why did they move over time? How did careers change? How did education change? So you get this, you begin to get this picture of how the family got to where it is today. So that's one mode of exploring the family history. It's it's more traditional. It's going through the historical documents, finding them in all different places. A ton of oral history as well. And the oral history is so important for um, both the family and the business. For the business, you know, you get to interview so often the, the original generation of the business creators. And you get that original institutional memory that helps to really document the culture of the business, how it began and things like that. And for the families, you not only get the wealth creation story from you know, a spouse, but you get to talk to the spouse who wasn't in the business. Usually that's the wife, it still happens to be a gender split, right? It's not always true, but um, you really get a sense of what was going on behind the scenes, how, the family was living through this experience of the business developing and all the dynamics that come out of that. And you get, you know, the stories from both sides because the kids and future generations, they're not just coming from the wealth creators side, right? It's, it's everything. So those are a couple of ways that I go about it. Awesome. Thank you and for sharing. The other thing that I just was so thrilled about when I found out about um, getting to work with Karen is she also, um, Along with her research, she um, she created these amazing curated cards of how to get people talking about their values from a standpoint of history. And um, they're like beautiful cards and the pictures on them are all significant and have different meaning and people get a chance to choose what speaks to them without knowing the history behind it. And then when they find out, it's like this whole other uh, thing opens up for them. Uh, and it's been this really wonderful way to uh, start to um, bridge conversations that maybe were never had in the family and allows like kids to um, safely ask questions of the, you know, the, maybe the matriarch and patriarch that there's always been a sense of, oh no, you can't go there. And, mm -hmm. but with the cards, there's like a way to be able to broach it and, you know, find out what their biggest failure was or find out like what their biggest aspiration was. Like it's really a wonderful tool that, um, and resource that I was really um, inspired by when I got to use it. And I also share that Karen, I got to experience Karen's work personally because when, oh, yeah. <laughs> when COVID hit, I found out from my aunt that I wouldn't exist if the 19, 18, 19, 19 Spanish flu epidemic hadn't happened. And she told me the story and I, I, wanted, I wrote it up, it's on LinkedIn and I, I sent it to Karen and I was like, what do you think? Is there any way to find out some data about my family? And she found out all of this amazing stuff that we didn't know. And then I, it sparked this great conversation between my dad and his sister, and they're both in their 80s. And it was, I mean, I've grown up with these people my whole life, and I've never heard these conversations before. And I've ne I never knew that my grandmother, you know, went to Canada, and then her brothers came from Cuba, like all kinds of things. And it's an amazing way to to open up conversations. And obviously I'm all about that um, mm -hmm. from this historical perspective. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a thing about it too, where 
Um, I think one of the most common uh, quotes you'll hear from anybody when they talk about history is like, oh, I always hated history, had to memorize all those facts and dates. And that is the worst way, right, to, to right. learn history. Like high school history is, is awful the way we ha are, have to read those, those textbooks. But um, in fact, people love history. And so often it's actually the rising gen who is really pushing to want to learn more about their parents and then their grandparents. And if they haven't raised the question, when I pull up stories from the 19th century or earlier that were shocking in their day and the younger kids, they're like, what? Our family's not boring? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's one thing. But so often I, I've seen families where, you know, you see generation after generation clearly dealing with, you know, mental health issues or substance abuse and alcoholism. And it's so much easier for these families to talk about those who have passed away and they're not threatened by those people. They have empathy for those people. They want to know more. They get that um, while people make choices, they are also products of their circumstances, small and large. And so they really do begin to see how they can talk about issues that they know are going on in their family today. Um, and But they get to start from kind of a fun yet poignant place. So um, Emily's great at, at sort of bridging the past to the to the future because sometimes I get stuck in the past. <laughs> Michael, something else, I was, if I may, that I was just thinking about because this is so timely. Um, you know, we're in a really poignant part. Like this is a huge historical moment we're living mm -hmm. through right now. And one of the things that I've gotten to experience when working with Karen in family meetings is she very delicately and brilliantly will bring up pain points from history as well. Mm -hmm. Many families find out that they may have been slave owners in the past. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe there was massive deforestation that happened as a really successful lumber company or oil company and like huge devastation to the environment. And the rising gen, they don't want to shy away from these conversations. They want to bring it forward and they want to look at, wow, what contributed to the wealth in the family and then how can we make reparations? How can we use our philanthropic means to really make things right and yeah. to, to take these pain points and shift it? And that's been an extraordinary opening of conversation and um, to notice that it's like we can't change what happened in the past, but boy, can we influence the future? Exactly. Um, and that's, that's been profound for me to see what can happen. I don't know if you've seen that, Michael, but. Um... Absolutely. And, and the, there's a couple of things that have popped into my head as you're talking is one that there was, there was a, I don't know if it was in a psychology magazine or, but it was about the, the development of a person when they know their history is different from one that doesn't know because all those unanswered questions about where did I come from and who am I, you know, they're, they're constantly spending energy and time thinking about those things rather than knowing where I came from and then, you know, whether it was good or bad in the history and there's always both, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I can work on, you know, making reparations or I can work on not being that family any longer. And then all the good things, you know, we are who we are because of, you know, somebody else endured through mistakes. And, you know, it's, we, what do they say? We, we learn from history. We hope not to repeat the same mistakes and we want to grow and build and be better from those things. But without the stories, we don't. Right. That's great. right. Right. You, you, a sense of identity is hugely important. And bringing this back to families that, that own businesses, so often um, we are working with families who, who see a succession on the horizon with the family business. Now, it might be a sale of the business. It might be a changing of the guard. It might be a generational change in leadership. But the sale of the business is really important. Um, it's important for the family to explore both the business history 
and the family history. I was working with one family, with Kristen Armstrong, actually, who Emily mentioned before. And um, there were four siblings. Two of the brothers ran the business, and the sisters trusted the brothers to make the decisions about the business. And they decided to sell the business. And almost the day after the contracts were all signed and before the ink was even dried, the locks were changed on the business and the brothers couldn't get in. And all of a sudden they couldn't get to any archives. They couldn't get to any documents. And there is this huge vacuum. Their everyday life had been completely overturned and they hadn't saved any of it. They hadn't done the work to, to make sure that they had that history. That's one thing that was going on. And they began to question a little bit about, well, if we had done that work about exploring our business and the principles that went into how we ran the business and some of the legacy ideas that we had around what we would like that business to be in the future might have affected who they sold the business to. So that was one whole element of it. But now that the family was no longer a, no longer owned the business and wasn't operating the business and didn't take for granted this business as sort of the organizing principle of, around their meetings and their decisions and their finances, but instead they were a family of wealth, they're a family wealth enterprise. The sisters really wanted to be a part about, of the decision-making around how the wealth was going to be invested, what kind of legacy the family was going to, to make. And there, the family history was so important. The women, they knew that stuff and they found their voices in expressing who the family was. And the brothers were a little bit like, yeah, oh yeah, right. They were a little bit lost about it. So, so they, kind of, they stumbled into doing the family history and they very much wish that they had done it beforehand. Kind of like Emily was saying, you know, when her mother passed away, all of a sudden the family didn't know how to have these conversations and didn't know the stories. Um, that's been a fascinating thing for me as a historian in this field is, you know, I take for granted that most of the people I deal with are dead. <laughs> you know, we're like looking back afterwards, but for the families, it's so important to begin to explore this before those major milestones happen. So they're grounded, they understand to collectively who they are and then, and then where they're individuals too. It's okay to have that balance, but to really be prepared for these major milestone events. Um, so it's been really fun and rewarding to figure out that part of history. That's where it's like the application of, of history into real world situations, you know, nothing like in the moment. <laughs> Love it. So Emily, you and I, you know, have spoken, we know we talk about family values, we talk and getting that communication going. How have you seen working with Karen and the history, um, you know, why become so important in pulling out the values from the past um, for, you know, shaping the, the values today? Yeah, it's, um, I mentioned the cards. Those have been hugely helpful um, to open things up. And then Karen um, will come into a meeting having um, been, you know, there's, it's part of the engagement that she's been given permission to do this research about the family. And she'll come and she'll bring, um, we'll be preparing in advance and we'll know like which, which aspects of the history we really want to highlight with them as a, in the family meeting. And then I help facilitate the conversations um, she brings all of this amazing content. And then, especially if there's some painful things from the past, it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we really want to look at this and hone this for the future? What is this really pointing to in terms of our current values and what were our family's values before that we want to bring forward and that we also want to maybe say we're, we're done with those, you know, like where they get a chance to be a choice about it. And it's, it's the facilitation of those conversations that's, that creates this really rich environment. And, you know, a lot of times we work with very uh, busy, very successful people. And uh, when they take the time to set aside to have their meetings, and we're doing more virtual now, um, we always, we give a lot of spaciousness to these conversations. And we, we set it up in advance that this isn't going to be a quick, um, down and dirty, like, okay, here's the facts, okay, next. It's like, 
no, we're going to really unpack this and we're going to see what's there and we're going to see what's even beneath that and giving everybody a lot of space and everybody who's there a chance to be able to talk about it. Um, the youngest to the oldest and um, we always invite in-laws. We like having um, whenever possible that they can be included as well because they have such great perspective taking as well to, to add to it. Um, and then there's ways to really bring it alive. If I could give an example of one family where I would um, love an example. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the rising gen started to get really curious about how the money was made and how they ended up owning all of these different um, kind of more passive income um, properties. And there's a fascinating history and story to it that um, luckily the um, patriarch was still alive and he told this whole story and um, they loved hearing the story and we got lots of data around it. Um, but they wanted to know these places because they, the family was benefiting from storage units and gas stations in three different states. And they decided to do a massive family bus tour. And they, they, um, the, the rising gen got um, the video equipment. They got trained in how to do some video um, historical uh, interviewing. And they captured so many amazing stories because he, he's like he was a real um creative fellow and so every time they would go to places say oh yeah i remember when we got this one and he'd tell all these different stories about what happened and where were they were and you know which kid was just born or what and it just created this huge wealth of information for the family that they never had and it ended up being a huge gift to everybody because he ended up uh dying in a plane crash a few years later um he was a private plane pilot and he and it they never would have had any of that if they hadn't done that and i i really love telling that story because it's like no no don't put it off don't wait for it right. like you you have the means like really make the things happen for yourselves and if you can't do it physically right now because of covid or you know whatever might be happening you can do virtual tra travel in, in amazing ways um, but yeah don't wait that's the biggest thing and it is a huge benefit to the family to really learn what was happening at those times, hear it directly from him, and then look at, wow, what do we want to do in the future? And are these things that we're going to want to sell off or do we want to keep them in perpetuity? And really have those conversations. Right. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And it just, something popped into my head, I'll share. Um, this doesn't necessarily, you know, we serve families of, of means because they have the means to pay us. And, and, and so, but these, these conversations, even for a family that, you know, doesn't have substantial wealth, they're really powerful conversations. And, you know, my family's done all right. And I'm sitting there talking with my father-in-law, who's now in his 80s, um, mid-80s. And we were talking about when, you know, his businesses that he ran and, and, the, and some of the stories that you know that that came to to light through my questioning of him, and it was just out of pure because I get curious about this stuff. You know, having been around it for so long, and my wife overheard me talking to him and said, "You learned things about our family that I didn't even know, and I didn't realize, you know, some of the things that that he did and how neat it was that you know he ended up where he ended up because he was." You know, I would I would say he was a scrapper. He was not the greatest in school. He was not, you know, not not going to be, you know, the the doctor, or the lawyer, or whatnot, which a lot of his family members were. But he was an entrepreneur, and he just scraped scrapped his way through. And and then an opportunity came up, and he was friendly. He was super friendly, and everybody loved him. And so that you know, opportunities presented themselves to him that maybe other people wouldn't have gotten because of his likability. And he ended up, you know, building a incredible restaurant and somebody came in and said, I want to have what you have. And they bought his restaurant at such a premium. It was ridiculous amounts back in the early eighties, right before the stock market boom. So he took that money parlayed it in the stock market and just really interesting to see how it all came together. And as a side note, nobody ever ran that restaurant again. It's like three or four owners came in afterwards, but it was him. It was that that likability and him going to the tables that people were in the restaurant for. It wasn't the food and everything else, even though he had great food, but it's interesting family history. It matters to all of us. Absolutely. And uh, so a couple of things come to mind with that. 
the last point that you made about how the restaurant, it never experienced the same kind of success again. Um, um, oh. I find that it's Karen, not- stop you for just a second? Yeah. You just, your internet froze for a second. If you go back, you said mm -hmm. you know, the last part that we heard was um, he was the last one successful in the restaurant. Yeah, so, so often it is not really the product that is important to the business. Uh, you know, not even necessarily the, the location, it's the culture. And it's the culture that comes down from the leadership. And it's the culture, you know, how the leader treats the employees and the staff and the opportunities created. So again, you know, uh, capturing that so that it can be replicated some way or another has been uh, one of the motivators for some of our clients to say, you know, we really need to explore this. Yeah, this and another thing, yeah, go on. No, just, it's so neat that you're saying this stuff. And I, I just wanna, I wanna pound in that, you, you know, how important this is. We are sitting at restaurants sometimes today and somebody will come up to my wife and say, are you Rick, you know, Rich Labar's daughter? Yeah, that's me. He goes, oh, I worked for your dad for summers for many, many years. And that culture piece, so mm -hmm. understanding that and being able to weave that into the future is really important. So I, I just wanted to reiterate that. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, it definitely doesn't take money to have an interesting family history. I have worked on thousands of families in my career and I have never come across a boring family. Everybody has interesting stories. Sometimes it takes an outsider to, um, whether it's an in-law who can, you know, get past some of the veneers that we put up or, or a historian to, to get to some of the stories that people haven't heard about. But another thing, so I, I posted this on, on LinkedIn at the beginning of um, the pandemic and sheltering in place knowing that this is a this is a crazy historical moment if you don't feel how historic it is then i don't i don't know it's hard to not feel how palpably historic this moment is and uh, a lot of people were looking for stories about you know how did my family get through the pandemic of the spanish influenza of 1918 and lots of families certainly did you know 50 million people died in 1918 but lots of families didn't you can look to the past and find so many different stories about how your family is resilient, has been resilient in the face of any number of changes. It could be super duper personal. It could be a sudden death in the family. You know, it could be tragic like that. It could be like, how did we get through the depression? How did we get through World War II? What was it like to live through the 1960s with the civil rights and black power and women's liberation and the Chicano movement and so much uh, social upheaval at the time. Yeah. In the Vietnam War, of course. Um, you know, I think I'm freezing again. That's oh, right. No, no, I'm <laughs> um, so, so, uh, yeah, so, um, so there are just so many different things. And they don't have to be hard things, too. It could be like, how did your family celebrate in the past? You know, what traditions, what, what recipes do you, have you passed down over the generations? Food is a phenomenal way for families to connect and be happy and share stories while they're playing with those cards that uh, Emily mentioned. You know, the cards, they came out of uh, just, they're 20 cards. And I picked 20 questions. It could be 20 different questions, but um, I picked, you know, share a story about a woman in the family, uh, share a story about a time when the family triumphed, uh, share a story that you think embodies a value that's important to the family, uh, share a story about failure. Could be any number of questions. Love it. It's just like you said, it's to get them talking and thinking and communicating and that's great. Um, you mentioned the, you know, the the Spanish flu. In do either of you in you know because we're here in, at this historic time, is there, are there any stories that that you came upon going back to the Spanish flu that might be worth talking about? Or and I, and if I'm putting you on the spot and you don't have a story about it, I apologize. But uh, just curious. I I kind of have a trifecta. I mean, there's there's a personal story. So my great-grandfather died 
Okay, so he definitely, he, I have a person in the family who died of the Spanish flu, but that's not the super interesting thing that I have found. Um, I, one of my passions is the theme of women and wealth. And so, and again, this goes deep back into um, all of my years of, of being a historian. And so I was reading about the Spanish influenza and I didn't realize in the past how, um, in my own past, how important women were to fighting the Spanish flu. So the Red Cross was hugely important to uh, combating the Spanish flu. Women who were teachers, you're gonna hear so many echoes of what's happening right now. Women still make up 75% of the K through 12 teachers, right? And they did, they were probably closer to 100% in 1918. The schools shut down and women immediately retrained to be um, contact tracers. They would go door to door to figure out which households had the flu and they would write it down. And they were doing this through the Red Cross, which was founded by women and mostly um, populated by women. The Red Cross was recruiting thousands and thousands of women to be nurses. World War I was ending, the Spanish flu was going and suffrage was in the air, right? So then at the end of 19, in August, 1919, the women had just done an enormous amount of work nursing and raising money and creating clothes for the war. And then they'd been on the front lines fighting the Spanish flu in so many different ways. So, and then they'd had the suffrage movement going so that finally convinced uh, Congress to pass the 19th amendment, which was ratified um, in August of 1920, and we're celebrating the centennial of that now. So you have these three things coming together. And, uh, and the other thing is that the women, so you had the teachers who were becoming nurses, but the other thing is that uh, cars were co-opted to help to combat the Spanish flu, to go around and, and go to the different houses to do the census taking. Well, 1918 is still pretty early for significant car ownership. And so it was the wealthy families, the women of the wealthy families who were driving. They weren't just like lending their cars. They were driving there behind the wheel, taking um, people around to do this work. So I found that kind of stuff super fascinating. And uh, so Emily, you have a great story too, I know. You know, when I said I wasn't, I wouldn't be here because of it, I'm, I'm totally serious. I, um, my grandmother's father um, died in the epidemic, the pandemic, and they lived in a little tiny uh, shtetl, a little town in, in Russia. It was called Right Russia at the time. She would always say, oh, it was Poland one year, it would be Lithuania the next year. <laughs> it always changed. The, uh, but it was Russia when they were there. And, um, and she, uh, her brothers left, they immigrated to the United States, and then they encouraged her and her mother to come. And her father never would have left. He was um, prominent in the community. And because he passed away, uh, she and her mother made their way to the United States through Canada. And um, she had one cousin who had lived across the street, and that, that cousin went to Palestine and all the other family members remained in that town and the town was completely wiped out. It's actually, it doesn't even exist anymore. And there's a huge mass grave there. And between the Russian revolution and the, the German um, occupation when they came through and they just burned and they just destroyed, everybody was gone and killed and, and lost. And um, it was an extraordinary thing to hear that because my great grandfather had died and my grandmother and her mother had left, where I'm here, I exist. Otherwise our family line would have, I mean, I guess her brothers may have still gone, but I certainly wouldn't have. So it was pretty astonishing to recognize that, wow, we have no idea what can come out of a pandemic. You know, there's a lot of loss and a lot of devastation. And then there's what can also be, um, you know, extraordinary resilience, like what Karen was saying, yeah. that lead to other things, yeah. I uh, liked reading the Vanderbilt story and in the book that I read it in um, had the family tree on there. And it was, you know, it's neat. You know, I, one of the things that we're doing with the family that 
you know, I, we talked about earlier that I, that I serve as that we're putting together a family tree. Um, one of the, the neat aspects of that is that we're also adding, you know, the in-laws, you know, where did they come from? Because oftentimes the family of origin, you know, is the family that we all talk about. Um, you know, we, we go to Columbus family vacation. Well, there's a lot of people that married into the Columbus family for us to have that vacation and, you know, put everybody together. And so we're, you know, we're trying to be cognizant of make, having that conversation to open things up. You know, where did you come from? Where are your grandparents from? Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, but, you know, it, when you looked at that, I remember looking at, you know, Gloria Vanderbilt was on that Vanderbilt piece and Anderson Cooper, you know, and then looking at those stories. And then when you start tracing some of the things that were going on for that family, um, just made you realize, you know, that like you said, everybody has an interesting family. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, they were Vanderbilts, but there wasn't some, you know, some of the things were not so different than, you know, the rest of us. Right. I think that, you know, 95% of what we do is the same how we experience every day so much of it is the same but what i really like to to hear is that you are uh focusing on the married ends because of course the married ends all too often right they're the female lines right and that's particularly important for us to think about in our industry because the younger the women the more interested they are in understanding the family wealth, making decisions around the family wealth, starting their own businesses. Uh, and there are so many um, metrics that show us that women are uh, becoming entrepreneurs faster at a faster rate than men right now. They're very successful when they have the opportunity to um, be entrepreneurs or make investments. And so to, to privilege the, the women's voice and their stories is, is really important in the, for the families we work with and the rising gens. Yeah, and I'll add to that, that one of my favorite events that um, I got to be part of and help put on was, um, it, we called it Herstory instead of History. And it was really inviting uh, multi-generational women from different families to come together and learn about storytelling. And um, see, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has different memories about what may have happened um, in the past. And giving them a chance to play with some uh, ways to tell stories effectively, uh, and then to encourage them to do storytelling within the family, and then having like the younger ones interview the older, and then the older interview the younger as well, and uh, how they see it and what they remember. And, and um, it was super well attended and the women got so much out of it. They, it's like, they didn't want it to end. You know, you have a great event when it's like it finishes and everybody's still lingering and they're still talking to each other. Um, and we used a story um, in it to get the, the thing started. And I thought it'd be fun to share it just briefly here because it's, um, it's an apocryphal story, but it's very um, telling in terms of what can happen in families. So uh, it's where a, a young granddaughter, maybe seven or eight, goes up to her mom and she sees her mom getting ready to put a roast in the oven and she cuts off the end of the roast, right? And she puts it in the pan and she puts it in the oven and the little girl says, why do you cut the end of the roast off? And she says, oh, my mother always did that. And so she goes and she asks her grandmother, why do you cut the end of the roast off? And she says, oh, oh my gosh. When we were, our apartment was so small and my oven was so tiny. I only could fit this tiny little pan. I could never fit a whole roast in there. <laughs> and it was, it was like, oh, asking these questions could be really useful because you can pass down things that, well, made sense to my mom, so it must make sense to me when actually it doesn't make sense to do it anymore. Uh, and, it's, and it's just a good reminder that by asking the questions and connecting with family around, you know, not just the story, but what was happening then and why do you think that way? Or what is, you really get to find out what's, what do we want to bring forward and what, what makes sense and what might we want to modify now that we're in modern times? So isn't that, isn't that fascinating too, Emily, how in that story, it's just two generations ago when that family lived in really tiny quarters and had to make sacrifices that two generations later, they couldn't even imagine. And in that intervening generation, it already became like an afterthought, you know? So 
Um, but to be able to bring that perspective is, is so important. And that's a funny story too. Um, you know, uh, and your Herstory event reminded me of a really poignant and empowering moment that we experienced at a, a women's retreat that we hosted a few years ago. And it was, so it was just women. And uh, we had an icebreaker where I went and did some digging into all of the uh, attendees' histories, family histories, and I really tried to focus on the maternal lines of their families and come up with some object, some picture that uh, represented their family based on something that I found. And then the people had to try, they had to ask questions of each other and try to figure out what picture belonged to whom. And so this one person, I, I didn't find much on her, her mother's family, but I did find something about her father. And it was like just this simple picture of a potato. But her sister-in-law said to me, you changed my sister's life through this event. And it's because she had married in to the business owning family and her husband had run the business and throughout her adult life she was known as the wife of right and he died suddenly and all of a sudden she had all of this wealth all of these decisions to make and she was a strong intelligent productive woman she worked it's not there wasn't anything like that going on but all of a sudden now she was the widow of or the wife of, right? And, and she was still in that state for years and kind of paralyzed in it. Well, just through this simple exercise that enabled her to talk about her father, again, she literally found her voice. And going forward was much more comfortable talking about her perspective on the decisions that should be made and being able to express her pride in her family's story, which of course she had passed on to her kids in you know, maybe passive ways, maybe implicit ways or direct. But it was, it was a really powerful moment, just focusing, allowing her to focus on her story literally empowered her. Love it. It's, it's so important to, to be cognizant and mindful of other people's story. And, and it makes a difference. And when you do, the other part that comes from that is, you know, it's that the, 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 the rule of reciprocity. When we're mindful of other people's stories, then they'll, you know, they're more mindful of ours. And we want, whether it's the husband or the wife, we want them to be mindful of that story because we want to share it with the joint children. And we want both sides matter. So, Speaking of children, when you're talking these stories and the history and these you know, the things that are, that are happening, how young do you start sharing, um, you know, with, with children? Well, we have worked with kids as young as about four years old. Uh, you start really kind of big and abstract. What kind Usually, of, what kind of, I'm going to jump right in. What kind of things would you say to a four-year-old? Oh, like, um, what do you know about grandma's what's your you might talk about food what's your favorite recipe what's your favorite thing that grandma makes or or your mom makes and make it around like happy occasions what what do you what does your family do at the holidays how do you celebrate and maybe be a little bit more specific if you celebrate christmas you know do you have a favorite ornament for the tree or you know whatever holiday you have, try to be specific, but you know don't say like what values does your family have because they kids gonna be like I don't know. Right. Um, but try to get keywords, and then we had you know four year olds making lovely family flags. They think big and abstract and colorful and joyous, and it's lovely. But usually it's more like middle school. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um. In terms of, you know, Emily, you have been such a collaborative person throughout your career, and obviously, Karen, you are as well, but Emily, if you could just talk about some ways that families can collaborate with all of their advisors 
when they're talking about family history and dynamics and governance and all these things that are, you know, sometimes, you know, heavy topics, but how do we, how do we bring that together? And, you know, when we're talking with our advisors, why is that important? How do we do it? Oh my gosh. Uh, a couple of things come to mind right off the top of my head, which is, uh, and I think I'll just tie it in with the history component we're talking about here, which is contextualizing. So uh, when an advisor is in their particular lane and they're looking at it strictly from like a tax standpoint or um, a, a protective standpoint, or um, it's such a wonderful thing to bring forward um, looking at it from the perspective taking of, you know, who is this going to impact short term and long term? And if, if we take that route, what would likely happen if we don't take that route what would likely happen and really opening up that contextualizing and then i love bringing in the history piece and asking you know key members of the family when decisions have been made in the past how have they gone you know was contextualizing happening or was it more like we've decided to do this we're telling you we're imposing it on you take care of it you know and it's how did that work out you know and are there some resentments from the past that we need to take care of before we move forward into the future. Uh, so I really do like doing the contextualizing. And one of the things that I really love about our work in, um, with families and all of the advisors is when we're working with a family business, if they wanna do, let's say, um, a historical timeline of the family business, we wanna have it be really interactive. And the thing I love about Karen is she will bring in what was happening in that time in history when this thing happened for the business. And it also helps to bridge when they're looking at, become, when they, you know, it's like they're not maybe owning the business in the same way anymore. Maybe they've had a liquidity event completely or it's, they've changed the reins. It's a great time to look at, all right, this is a huge moment in history for us. What are we gonna, what's the next part of our timeline going to look like? And especially if they're having that philanthropic conversation. And I love that you spoke with, um, Deborah and Bruce, um, Michael, it's such a great resource to offer in terms of how you think and talk about philanthropy. And that's a big part of our work is, oh, wow, what do we want to bring forward that we see was really beneficial for us um, in terms of how we work together and work with our advisors? And then what do we want to make sure our advisors are aware of as we're going to look at how we want to give back and philanthropically and also you know, the tax mitigation is great, but what does this mean for us in terms of oh my gosh, we now have to be responsible for a private foundation, but what if we want to be anonymous? And how do we, you know, oh, and anonymity is really important value. Look at what we did in the past because of that. Or, boy, in the past we had the business, so we really needed it to be with the business name and any giving that we did to be tied to us because it was extremely strategic. Now, without the business, how do we want to move with it? So what's our family's identity with it? So it's, bringing forward those questions and really empowering advisors to be willing to ask the questions and really think about it like short-term, long-term and all the different people involved. Awesome. Um, Karen, when you're talking with families, and I know it's probably always different, but it, you know, and you talked about some of those questions before, but do you have, you know, three to, you know, three different questions that you just love asking and hearing people talk about, or is it just, you know, so many different questions, every family's different kind of a thing. Well, you know, I, I often start with just basic ones. What is your favorite story? You know, what is your favorite family vacation? I generally start with, happy moments to, you know, get the family comfortable with me, get them comfortable talking about the past, get a sense of their personalities. So talk about, you know, again, like a fun family vacation is great. Best family holiday, favorite recipes, kind of those themes that I've, I've talked about before. Um, and then if I've been working with the family a little bit longer, one thing, or actually, no, this is actually a example. So uh, one of the, the themes that we um, work with families on a lot is governance, right? Whether the family owning business uh, and family wealth enterprise, but governance. And that's a weird word, you know? It's a strange word and it's like, what are you talking about? And so then I often 
will come to the family and contextualize it like Emily was talking about before. So I take them through their family history to show them how um, their family has operated within pre-existing structures, governance structures that allowed them to get from A to B and changed over time and sometimes bring out amazing factoids that they didn't know. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I understand why we're doing this. If we have a really strong architecture for understanding how we make decisions and have change of regime or whatever, then we can spend the time and it's gonna be hard and all of that. So, um, so that's one thing I do love to have. It's great to have a context to bring the history to so that the family understands why we're listening to this story. Stories are great, but understanding why we're listening to them is really important because you can hear it. And if there's no context, then it'll go out the other, the other ear. So, so that's really important is just having that, the pretext for being there in the first place. And then these cards, it's just these 20 questions, very simple, woman in your family, man in your family, triumph, um, failure, recipe, or what tradition do you want to pass down? What are you curious about? Is there a story in your family that you have heard all of your life but want to know more about? Or maybe you want to know if it's actually true, which it may or may not be. Uh, so stuff like that. Awesome. Appreciate it. Emily? Sorry, I'm just on mute there. I, um, I wanted to add that um, one of my first families I got to work with Karen on was really profound because when people go through the cards, they can choose the question that they want. It's not like it's not like a game of chance where you're like pick a card and that's your card. Right. And um, one of the uh, adult um, rising gen really wanted to know about um, a time that they remembered that their father had had a failure, and they had vague memories from their childhood of when they were really struggling as a family, and they wanted to know more about it. And I like that Karen's like, oh yeah, your biggest triumph and your failure. It's like not a good thing necessarily to ask all the time, but because there was a facilitator in the room, because, and you know, it, he was able to ask it and the dad was very forthcoming and the mom shared what it was like for her. And all of these memories started popping up that they hadn't talked about in probably 30 years. And it was a really significant time for them. And they now find themselves in a position where they've accumulated more wealth than they ever thought they would ever they, they had no idea that they had this level of wealth and it was, we're really helping them navigate through that because it's, it's so different than where they had been, right? They, um, their trajectory was quite something. And um, having those cards and having the ability to talk about that was ended up being extraordinary for them. And then they really got a chance to look at what are the values they wanted to bring going forward with their giving and they're starting a foundation. And um, it all started from that history deck. So I just, I think it's really an amazing thing to give people a chance to have facilitated conversations around um, stress, loss, failure, mistakes, because that's where the learning happens. You know, we're on the learning planet. You, know, you can only learn by making mistakes. And if we only talk about the triumphs, we don't talk about what were the mistakes that got us there. We're losing so much valuable information. Yeah. I totally agree. So Karen, I guess the question that Emily and I have for you is when are you going to package those cards up and put the instruction <laughs> manual in there to share with the rest of the, the rest of us advisors that don't have you available to work with? <laughs> I guess we'll have to talk to U.S. Bank about that one. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's, there's, there's wonderful, there's books with like a thousand questions yeah. in it, or there's, you know, questions for kids. There's so many resources out there and um, you know, I would just recommend advisors, you know, you've heard questions we recommend. The main thing is you want, you don't want to open up Pandora's box if you don't know how to handle the conversation, right? Because right. you just don't know what could happen. It's, it's not such an easy thing as like, well, let's just talk about failures. Um, and you really want to set up the context in the right way and the listening in the right way and build that trust for it. Uh, but, you know, you can, like Karen said, you can choose really lovely things to start with. And, you know, um, it, it could be very simple to just get people telling their stories with each other. I love it. Yeah. And go back to, I want to reiterate that, Emily, we just had a conversation with the family the other day where we were going to ask the young kids to do a skit 
utilizing one of the adults. And it would have been a little, you know, the adult would have to be okay being a little foolish and, and silly for the kids, for the benefit of the kids. And the reaction that we received was very, very powerful. Um, strong, negative reaction to that idea. And thank goodness we had a facilitator there because had, had I been the one that posed that, um, I, I probably could have handled that. But I mean, you know, I, I can see a lot of advisors who have not had this kind of work and been in this work before would have been shell struck and not know what to do with that. And you can't leave somebody like that because no matter, you know, like the doctors say, first do no harm, right? And that's when we're going into these situations, we need to be prepared for, you know, whatever. We don't know how strong somebody might react to something. But for the very most part, 98% of what, you know, these things are all positive and wonderful, but sometimes there is some, you know, deep-seated things. And you just made a point, Mike, that, that I want to reiterate is that, um, Anybody can help explore the family history, but it, it really does help to have a professional do it, especially when it comes to some of those tougher stories in a family's history, because I kind of jokingly said before that the younger generations are like, wow, you know, we're not a boring family when you come up, when you dig up a skeleton, as we call them, right? But some of those stories can be like really serious, um, really tough. And if you're going to present that story to the family, it's not that useful to do it for shock and awe. There should be a reason behind it. So, so that's one thing. Um, one reason to recently that, that I, I, I had a family that was their ancestors centuries ago were involved in a massacre of Native Americans. And the family was just devastated to learn this. But I didn't tell it to them for the shock and awe value. There were reasons behind it. You know, change over time. Your family is appalled by this. That means your family has grown and changed. And that is something to be celebrated. There's also the understanding you, your ancestors made decisions that had an impact on people. You are in a position to make really important decisions that have an impact on a lot of people. So think through those decisions. You can bring it around to themes like that. And then the, the other thing is, if you're going to bring up uh, some story from the past that could be really serious, potentially traumatic or something like that, know what you're talking about. And not just the exact facts of what happened or as, as exact as you can be of what happened in that specific incident, but the broader context of the times. Um, because you, you don't want to hit people with a bludgeon and, and you need to be able to speak with nuance and, and expertise for these stories to have a meaningful impact on, on the family. And I'm just going to add that um, I'm really grateful we're having this conversation right now because this is such a significant time in history and there's some revisionist history that's happening and there's some major reactivity that's happening because of people that have been revered that um, had practices that are completely intolerable now. And the ability to talk about difficult things in a family is essential if you want to have successful governance. And being able to talk about potentially volatile, reactive conversations from a place of the contextualizing, granting legitimacy to everybody's perspective, and really directing it towards who are we and what do we want to create going forward. Family, need, family businesses need this, families need this, the country needs it, right? It's like, I look at it as like the microcosm for the macrocosm, the world needs it. And anything that we can do to really empower people to look their history in the eye, not shy away from it, and then look at how to use it as a transformative experience in terms of who do we want to be going forward is extraordinarily important. And the other thing I'll add that I love about Karen's work is in some instances, we don't just talk it to the family. 
We talk to key yeah. people in the family business. We talk to best friends of the, the matriarch or the patriarch. We get context around their lives that nobody knows about. Nice. And we are able to feature that as well. And I think that that's an important thing to also add at the end is that there's a lot of resources out there to really bring a much greater, richer story to life for the family. Love it. We are past the hour. I really have enjoyed this. I think that I could do another three hours with the two of you talking about these things because I can just find it so fascinating. Um, what I'd like to do is if, you know, if somebody was listening to this right now and wanted to reach out and contact you, do, do are you on LinkedIn? Are you email? How, what's the best way to get a, to do that? Well, uh, yeah. yeah, and Karen's got some great resources on LinkedIn. She's put up some great um, articles, especially for this time that I mm -hmm. highly recommend looking up Karen on, on LinkedIn. I'm on it as well. And then you can, yeah. um, you know, you can find us through Ascent um, Private Capital Management through That's US Bank. Beautiful. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. And I hope everybody has gotten as much out of this as I have. Um, again, my name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast and um, watch out for some of the incredible guests coming up uh, in future episodes. Thank you, everyone, and have an incredible day. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.